Chapter 26 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. Let us now return to our vocal prayer, so that we may learn to pray in such a way that, without our understanding how, God may give us everything at once. If we do this, as I've said, we shall pray as we ought. As you know, the first things must be examination of conscience, confession of sin, and the signing of yourself with a cross. Then, daughter, as you are alone, you must look for a companion. And who could be a better companion than the very master who taught you the prayer that you are about to say? Imagine that this Lord himself is at your side, and see how lovingly and how humbly he is teaching you. And believe me, you should stay with so good a friend for as long as you can before leaving him. If you become accustomed to having him at your side, and if he sees that you love him to be there and are always trying to please him, you will never be able, as we put it, to send him away, nor will he ever fail you. He will help you in all your trials, and you will have him everywhere. Do you think that it is a small thing to have such a friend as that beside you? Oh, sisters, those of you whose minds cannot reason for long or whose thoughts cannot dwell upon God, but are constantly wandering, must at all costs form this habit. I know quite well that you are capable of it. For many years, I endured this trial of being unable to concentrate on one subject, and a very sore trial it is. But I know the Lord does not leave us so devoid of help that if we approach him humbly and ask him to be with us, he will not grant our request. If a whole year passes without our obtaining what we ask, let us be prepared to try for longer. Let us never grudge time so well spent. Who, after all, is hurrying us? I am sure we can form this habit and strive to walk at the side of this true master. I'm not asking you now to think of him or to form numerous conceptions of him or to make long and subtle meditations with your understanding. I am asking you only to look at him. For who can prevent you from turning the eyes of your soul just for a moment if you can do no more upon this Lord? You are capable of looking at very ugly and loathsome things. Can you not, then, look at the most beautiful thing imaginable? Your spouse never takes his eyes off you, daughters. He has borne with thousands of foul and abominable sins which you have committed against him, yet even they have not been enough to make him cease looking upon you. Is it such a great matter, then, for you to avert the eyes of your soul from outward things and sometimes to look at him? See, he is only waiting for us to look at him. As he says to the bride, you will find him. He longs so much for us to look at him once more that it will not be for lack of effort on his part if we fail to do so. A wife, they say, must be like this if she is to have a happy married life with her husband. If he is sad, she must show signs of sadness. If he is merry, even though she may not in fact be so, she must appear merry too. See what slavery you have escaped from, sisters? Yet this 
without any pretense, is really how we are treated by the Lord. He becomes subject to us and is pleased to let you be the mistress and to conform to your will. If you are happy, look upon your risen Lord, and the very thought of how he rose from the sepulcher will gladden you. How bright and how beautiful was he then! How majestic! How victorious! How joyful! He was like one emerging from a battle in which he had gained a great kingdom, all of which he desires you to have, and with it, himself. Is it such a great thing that you should turn your eyes but once and look upon him who has made you such great gifts? If you are suffering trials or are sad, look upon him on his way to the garden. What sore distress he must have borne in his soul to describe his own suffering as he did and to complain of it. Or look upon him bound to the column, full of pain his flesh all torn to pieces by his great love for you. How much he suffered, persecuted by some, spat upon by others, denied by his friends and even deserted by them, with none to take his part, frozen with the cold and left so completely alone that you may well comfort each other. Or look upon him, bending under the weight of the cross, and not even allowed to take breath. He will look upon you with his lovely and compassionate eyes, full of tears, and in comforting your grief, will forget his own because you are bearing him company in order to comfort him and turning your head to look upon him. O Lord of the world, my true spouse, you may say to him, if seeing him in such a plight has filled your heart with such tenderness, that you not only desire to look upon him, but to love to speak to him, not using forms of prayer, but words issuing from the compassion of your heart, which means so much to him. Are thou so needy, my Lord and my good, that thou wilt accept poor companionship like mine? Do I read in thy face that thou hast found comfort even in me? How can it be possible, Lord, that the angels are leaving thee alone and that thy Father is not comforting me? If thou, Lord, art willing to suffer all this for me, what am I suffering for thee? What have I to complain of? I am ashamed, Lord, when I see thee in such a plight. And if in any way I can imitate thee, I will suffer all trials that come to me and count them as a great blessing. Let us go both together, Lord. Whether thou goest, I must go. Through whatsoever thou passest, I must pass. Take up this cross, sisters. Never mind if the Jews trample upon you, provided you can save him some of his trials. Take no heed of what they say to you. Be deaf to all detraction. Stumble and fall with your spouse, but do not draw back from your cross or give it up. 
think often of the weariness of his journey and of how much harder his trials were than those which you have to suffer. However hard you may imagine yours to be, and however much affliction they may cause you, they will be a source of comfort to you, for you will see that they are matters for scorn compared with the trials endured by the Lord. You will ask me, sisters, how you can possibly do all this and say that if you had seen his majesty with your bodily eyes at the time when he lived in the world, you would have done it willingly and gazed at him forever. Do not believe it. Anyone who will not make the slight effort necessary for recollection in order to gaze upon this Lord present within her, which she can do without danger and with only the minimum of trouble, would have been far less likely to stand at the foot of the cross with the Magdalene, who looked death, as they say, straight in the face. What the glorious virgin and this blessed saint must have suffered. What threats, what malicious words, what shocks, what insults. For the people they were dealing with were not exactly polite to them. No, indeed, theirs was the kind of courtesy you might meet in hell for they were the ministers of the devil himself. Yet, terrible as the sufferings of these women must have been, they would not have noticed them in the presence of pain so much greater. So do not suppose, sisters, that you would have been prepared to endure such great trials then, if you are not ready for such trifling ones now. Practice enduring these, and you may be given others which are greater. Believe that I'm telling the truth when I say that you can do this, for I am speaking from experience. You will find it very helpful if you can get an image or a picture of the Lord, one that you like, not to wear around your neck and never look at, but to use regularly whenever you talk to him, and he will tell you what to say. If the words do not fail you when you talk to people on earth, why should they do so when you talk to God? Do not imagine that they will. I shall certainly not believe that they have done so if you once form the habit. For when you never have intercourse with a person, he soon becomes a stranger to you, and you forget how to talk to him. And before long, even if he is a kinsman, you feel as if you do not know him for both kinship and friendship lose their influence when communication ceases. It is also a great help to have a good book, written in the vernacular simply as an aid to recollection. With this aid, you will learn to say your vocal prayers well, I mean, as they ought to be said. And little by little, persuasively and methodically, you will get your soul used to this so that it will no longer be afraid of it. Remember that many years have passed since it went away from its spouse, and it needs very careful handling before it will return home. We sinners are like that. We have accustomed our souls and minds to go after their own pleasures, or pains, it would be more correct to say, until the unfortunate soul no longer knows what it is doing. When that has happened, a good deal of skill is necessary before it can be inspired with enough love to make it stay at home. But unless we can gradually do that, we shall accomplish nothing. 
Once again, I assure you that if you are careful to form habits of the kind I have mentioned, you will derive such great profit from them that I could not describe it, even if I wished. Keep at the side of this good master, then, and be most firmly resolved to learn what he teaches you. His majesty will then ensure you're not failing to be good disciples, and he will never leave you unless you leave him. Consider the words uttered by those divine lips. The very first of them will show you at once what love he has for you. And it is no small blessing and joy for the pupil to see that his master loves him.